Hello and welcome to the Sabbath School Quarterly Commentary produced by the North New South Wales Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. My name is Pastor Joseph Scaff. I'm the Director for Church Planting and Stewardship, and today I am honored to be your host. We will be studying the fourth lesson of our pamphlet on the book of Hebrews, entitled Jesus, Our Faithful Brother. This study will be shared by classes all across uh, the world on the Sabbath, the 22nd of January of 2020. So, as an introduction, I'd like to make a few uh, remarks. Number one, if you are going to be a Sabbath school teacher and if you're preparing to lead this lesson, may I encourage you to just press pause on this podcast, grab yourself something to make notes with, because I will be giving you some uh, ideas, some suggestions of how to structure the discussion so that it's participatory and there's some good questions to be asked to your participants as well, to your Sabbath school members. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go through this passage of the book of Hebrews. I'm going to give an introduction. I'm going to make some comments and then I will give some ideas of how to structure your Sabbath school class as well at the end. So first things first, the community of Hebrews. Who was the book of Hebrews written to? Some people believe that, and I amongst them, that the book of Hebrews was written by the Apostle Paul. And even though the authorship is not stated in the book, a lot of phrases are very similar to what Paul used in his other letters. But irrespective of that, we can understand that the book of Hebrews, that could have been one of the sermons that Paul used to preach as he was moving from place to place, from city to city, and preaching at the synagogues on Sabbaths, as was his custom, it assumed that the audience had a previous knowledge of the Old Testament. Why? Because there's a whole lot of Old Testament quotations, there is a lot of Old Testament characters and practices that the author just assumes that his audience would be uh, familiar with. And this is one of the reasons why in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews is one of uh, the most complicated to understand, to interpret, because it does require that previous understanding of the Old Testament. This is the first thing. The second thing is the context that this community of Hebrews was, and their context was one of persecution and also one of exclusion. They were excluded from the synagogues oftentimes because in the beginning of the the Christian era, both the Christian Jews and also the non-Christian Jews, they all met in the synagogues, but of course that situation only lasted for uh, a limited amount of time because after a while, it became unsustainable. The Christian Jews were basically kicked out of their synagogues. Their kids were being ridiculed, ridiculed at school, ridiculed by their friends, particularly on the idea that God would have become a human being. That was outrageous, both to the Jews as well as to the Greeks. Some of them had their properties confiscated. They were losing their houses. They're losing their savings. Many received death threats on the account of being followers of Jesus. In some cases, these death threats became actually death 
sentences. So in light of that, some were tempted to doubt. Is Jesus really the Messiah? How do we really know? Some of them were tempted to abandon the faith and perhaps to revert back to Judaism, at least in this way, they wouldn't be having the persecution or the exclusion from their family members for the Roman Empire at the time. Well, Judaism was a religion that people didn't like it, but at least they understood it and they left the Jews alone to a certain degree. So that was a very real threat. And if you are presenting, uh, if you're leading a Sabbath school class and you're, you choose to start with an introduction similar to this one that I've um, sharing with you, one great question to start is asking, do we in our culture suffer persecution and exclusion or any other additional burden just for the fact of being a Christian? And if yes, what are the temptations that we have when we receive them? Perhaps we have the temptation to stay silent when we should talk or when we should witness. So you can use that questions as a bit of an icebreaker to have your class uh, discussing it and sharing a little bit of how can we in the 21st century relate to that idea of being persecuted and excluded or ridiculed in our culture, in our society. So that is the first thing. So what I would, what I would like to do with you now is that I would like to read it from verse 5 of chapter 2 onwards. And it says this. So I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. For he, referring to God the Father, he did not sub subject he did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere, saying, What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels, you have crowned him with glory and honor. And have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. And here, Paul, or the author of Hebrews, is making the point that the scriptures were actually referring to Jesus. He was applying these passages to Jesus, saying that God told about Jesus, who's going to be a son of man, and God the Father was going to subject the entire world to come, the entire universe, all things under his feet. And in verse, the rest of verse 8 says, For in subjecting all things to him, to Jesus, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now, and here's the problem, we do not yet see all things subjected to him. So God has promised to Jesus that he would subject all creation under him. And yet, when we look outside of our window, we see that mm, God's will is not being done everywhere. Not everything is subject to God's will. What do we do from that? Isn't that true as well in our world that sometimes we see? And, and this is one of the questions, the first question, or the second question, better yet, the first question after the introduction. But the second question in the Bible study to ask, why is it important that the Bible is not hiding the fact that this world is not yet what it ought to be or that what it will be when Christ comes back? That is an important question. And the idea here is that people can realize, hey, you know what? The Bible is very aware. It never promised that after the cross of Jesus, everything was going to be restored where it's the foundation of that restoration 
But the actual restoration of all things will only come after the second coming of Jesus. So how do we resolve that? How do we resolve that problem? Well, it says here in verse 9, while we do not see that all things are subjected to him yet, because that hasn't happened yet, we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So, while the Bible acknowledges that we don't see yet the fullness of Christ's victory in our world, we can see what he has done in the past. We can see Jesus and we can know that because of the suffering of his death, God made him taste death for everyone. And then we can, you can ask this question with your uh, students. Even though we do not see Christ's fullness of victory in our world, still, how is it possible that we still can have faith in him? When we look outside and we see all the tragedies, how is it that we can still have faith in God? And the point here to believe, to drive home, is that we can choose to either doubt God, to either doubt his promises based on the things that we don't see yet, or based on the things that we don't know, or we can choose to trust him based on the things that we do see, based on the things that we do know. And this is what he's saying here. Hey, we know we're not seeing Jesus subjected, subjecting the entire universe, but we have seen him becoming a human. We have seen him being crowned by God with glory and honor in his resurrection. And we can know from that that he died for all of us. So that is the first part of this uh, Sabbath school class. I would, after the introduction, I would encourage you to read from verse 5 to verse 9 and ask these two questions here that we spoke about. And you can also ask, you know, what can you see? You can ask them, what can you actually see that inspires your faith? And how can we nurture that? How can we nurture having faith and confidence in the leading of God, even though we see things that are outside of God's will happening all around us? So this, the second phase, the second part of your Sabbath school class, I would suggest that we revolve around verses 10 and 13. And you can read this passage out loud. Maybe you can even read it twice. Ask someone to read it and then someone to read again. And as you're reading these Bible passages, asking questions such as, is there anything in this passage that is hard or difficult to understand? Number two, what is this passage telling? What are the highlights in this passage here? So let's read verse 10 to verse 13. For it was fitting, or it was adequate, it was necessary for him, for Jesus, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things. So he created everything. Everything was made for his glory. In bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. And here's, there's, it's a very important passage here because a lot of people will find it a little bit hard to understand how can sufferings do anything to perfect Jesus. Isn't him perfect already? And of course, he is perfect already. However, when we looked at the word perfect, it can have two, it can have two meanings. One, being perfected, being something that was not perfect or imperfect or something that had defects, making them better or making them perfect or making them 
without defects. That's one meaning of perfecting. However, we know that it would be impossible for that to be applied to Jesus because, well, he was perfect already. However, a second use of this word perfected is in the sense of completing or confirming. For example, I used to work with investment banking in the past, and we used to use that word all the time. We are perfecting the collateral. What that means, someone I would, we would be lending some money to a company. They would give us some kind of asset like a factory as a collateral, as a guarantee of that loan. And we would perfect that collateral guarantee by doing all the registrations, taking it to the, to the notary, to the public notary, so that he could do all the legal procedures that would make that guarantee perfect. So the guarantee already existed from the time that the man says, yeah, I'm giving that as a guarantee. His word was already guaranteeing it, but we perfected it. We confirmed it. We completed it by him signing the documents and by us registering the documents in the relevant systems. And in this sense, we can understand how the sufferings completed Jesus as our savior. And this is one of the questions that you can ask. How, in what way, the sufferings of Jesus make him a more complete savior to us? And let them talk, but I think that the point here is that by suffering, Jesus was actually able to relate better to us. He's learning new things. He's, for the first time, suffering as a human being. But for us, it's important that we look at Jesus as a suffering servant and realize, wow, if he suffered, he understands the sufferings that we are going through. And actually, we can expect suffering in the hands of the world, just as he did. So if Jesus never suffered, if he just cruised through this world without having one single sorrow or pain, I think we would have a very hard time to relate to him or even to, we could believe that he understands our sufferings, but in the back of our minds, well, he didn't suffer himself. So his sufferings made more complete. It was necessary that for him to save us, that he would go to the similar kind of sufferings that his servants would go through throughout the centuries. It would made him more complete. That is why it was fitting or it was necessary for him to suffer the way that he suffered. So let's keep going. Verse 11, for both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation and I'll sing your praise. This is a quote from Psalm 22, verse 22. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children whom God has given me. So one of the questions that you can ask here to your Sabbath school class is, what is the condition that enables us to call God our Father? It has here in verse 11. The conditions is that we need to be, be we need to be in the process of being sanctified. Because both he who sanctifies, meaning Jesus, and those who are being sanctified, meaning us, we are all from one Father. And for this reason, Jesus can call us brothers. So this is number one, the condition. The condition is sanctification. We cannot expect to be a part of God's family without trust and without faith. And a faith without sanctification is a dead kind of a faith. It's just an intellectual one that does really nothing. And then the second question is, as our older brother, how does Jesus actually care for us? 
as he calling us the brothers and and here you can allow them to speak if you want to read some different passages in Leviticus chapter 25 verse 25 to 27 tells how the nearest of kin in the Old Testament was responsible to redeem a person in case that person ended up being bankrupt if they sold their property or they sold themselves as slaves to pay a debt the brother or the nearest of kin of that was actually the one able to at any time if they had the resources to go there and rescue him buy back the land or buy himself back from slavery so here's the idea that christ is our older brother he cares for us as being our redeemer redeeming us from the slavery not of debt Surely he can do that by giving us wisdom and self-control and all these kinds of things, but it's a different subject. But primarily from a spiritual slavery to sin and to death. And he's our redeemer in that regard. And then it says here that I will put my trust in him. Jesus will put his trust in God. And by doing so as our brother, he's also our example. He's our example of how to relate to God in faith. So that story that, you know, my mother used to tell me I was the older brother in my family. My mom says, Joseph, you being the older brother, you also have to be the example to your siblings. Well, in that sense, Jesus is the perfect example for us of what it is like to be a human being in God's eyes. And then another element here that can be uh, taken from the text is, Behold, I and the children whom God has given me, well, he's also our protector. So all of these two quotations here from verse 13 are taken from Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 17 and 18. And you can read that chapter. Isaiah is basically telling uh, the king that him and his sons, his children that God has given them, they will be a witness to the nation that they are going to be trusting God. So you can take a look into that and perhaps the Holy Spirit will lead you into going a little bit into that Isaiah direction as well to explore that, that passage here. But... In the same way that Isaiah would be looking after his kids and protecting them, Jesus also protects us as well. As our older brother, he does care for us by protecting us. So that's the second part, verses 10 to 13. And then the third part of this Bible study, I would suggest that you study from verses 14 to 18. So again, you read that passage if you have the time. And I'll read it with you and then I'll give you the questions that I would ask to encourage discussion. In your group. So in verse 14, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, so if you want to, so in the same way that someone's children have their flesh and their blood, they're he himself, Jesus, likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So it was important that Jesus to be really become part of the human family and to really adopt us in the human family that he would be made of the same flesh and blood that we are made and through his death he rendered powerless him who had the power of death that is the devil and we will see here in this passage i'll continue to read but you'll see here that it is a uh, the author of hebrews is listing here a number of blessings that we get from the fact that jesus became a human being with the same blood and flesh from us so he keeps going in verse 15 and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. So here two extra benefits. So uh, we saw here one benefit that Satan is powerless. He's exposed. He's powerless over our lives through the ministry, the death of Jesus, through him becoming a uh, man of flesh and bones and, and overcoming the devil himself. We can do that. 
Number two, we don't need to be afraid of death anymore. Number three, we are being free from the captivity of slavery, uh, of sin. So Jesus is freeing us from that, from the consequences of sin, from the power of sin in our life. In verse 16, for assuredly, assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation from, for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid to those who are tempted. So by Jesus becoming one of us, we are he is better able to relate to us and we are better able to relate to him as our high priest, as our mediator between ourselves and God. We can see that in Jesus having as a human being being tempted in all things, he's now able to be merciful to us, to understand us and to come to the our aid when we are tempted. And I think that the question here would be two questions here for this segment. Number one question would be after of course if people have questions about this passage, if there is anything difficult to understand, I would ask how can Jesus help us when we are tempted? So how means that this is a practical question. And then people can talk about you no know, prayer, you no know, preventative prayer routine and organizing your life so that you're setting yourself up for spiritual success through you know healthy habits, healthy spiritual habits, etc. Different people can give different contributions here. And then the second question is, how may we take advantage of Jesus being our mediator in heaven so that we can fulfill our mission of making disciples? So the fact that Jesus understands us as a human being, he's um, our mediator representing us before God, how can we actually take advantage of that? And I think that here we can talk a little bit about you know, the importance of prayer, of intercessory prayer, asking God for wisdom, asking God to give us strength and clarity so we can put the kingdom of God first in our lives, that he's going to add all the other things. So here that there's a lot of a lot of options here to explore that question. How can we take advantage of the fact that we have someone just like us who calls ourselves our older brother who is standing before the throne of God? And how can we take advantage of that, particularly in our mission of making disciples and proclaiming the three angels' messages? That's about it. I hope you have a great time studying uh, the second chapter of the book of Hebrews. I hope that you can really feel this closeness to Jesus when he calls himself as your older brother. And I pray that if you're teaching a Sabbath school class this Sabbath, that both you and your Bible students can have a blessed time by dwelling into God's word. God bless you. All the best. Let's pray and ask God's blessings for us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sharing us these amazing truths about Jesus becoming flesh with us. He has the same kind of flesh, the same kind of bones, and the same kind of blood running through his veins. And through that, Father, he made himself a more perfect, a more complete Savior than we could even imagine. I pray that our Heavenly Father and also our Heavenly Older Brother may help us in the task of inspiring and encouraging others to look to him so that we can get the strength necessary and the power and the stamina to wait until you come back and to work for you until that happens. In Jesus' name, amen.